0: how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Phil Mackie, Judd Zogad. Bottom line is these two guys really... Like each other. Mackie and Judd. They've
2: formed a special brotherhood. They've said, you know what? We can do this better together than
0: apart. On 1500 ESPN. Now on Mackie and Judd.
1: We believe in past lives. Did we ever really land on the moon? Questions. What are the six degrees that separate you and Kevin Bacon? Of significant importance.
0: Uh, we will go to Fort Myers here this hour. Derek Wetmore is down there the entire month and in, into March covering spring training we've got some touch them all episodes you can find from last week and we'll do another one today jake odorese is talking paul molitor so we'll go to wetmore and get an update on fort myers things here this hour dave's got some questions for us though yeah collars get- in for judd we're, we're fighting with vikings fans it's great have things calmed down during the break are we good
2: matthew
1: <laughs> no i really actually enjoy the conversation because it's so interesting this Vikings quarterback situation that you could see it playing out so many different ways. How many teams can say that where next year there are 50 different outcomes that you could potentially have?
0: The Browns always have 50 different outcomes every year. No, I think
1: they've only got one outcome. It goes badly. That's the only outcome. David, let's
2: do this. NBA Commissioner Adam Silver was speaking over the weekend during all the All-Star festivities and he was asked about the playoff format.
3: When we get to the playoffs, should we, be, should we be taking either the best 16 teams or even if we go eight from the west, eight from the east, seeding one through 16 going into the, into the playoffs? And that is something that has gotten serious attention, not, not just recently, but over the last few years at the league office. And I think, as I've said in the past, that the obstacle is travel. And it's, it's not tradition, in my mind at least. It's that as we've added an extra week to the regular season, as we've tried to reduce the number of back-to-backs, that that we are concerned about teams crisscrossing the country in the first round, for example. We are just concerned about the over, overall travel that we would have in, in the top 16 teams. So he's got ideas on how
2: to fix the NBA playoffs, perhaps. Argue if you must, if they need fixing or not. Help another commissioner out, boys. Pick anybody you want, any sport pro or college and fix their playoff structure except for college football cuz that's too easy.
0: I was going to say college football is easy. Let's uh let's add four more teams and make it make it 8 just for fun. Uh I like what baseball did. People hate the wild card, some people do, but it added a must-watch game to both leagues and it kind of it sparks you going into the to the postseason. Um so for the for the NHL, I would do this. And this will never happen. And diehards are going to laugh at me. I would uh, I would keep the sixteen teams, and I would just make the playoffs a larger chunk of the overall season. So I would I would enhance the postseason by getting rid of like two months of the regular season. I would start the post and I would get out of June. So I would start the NHL postseason in like March, and have it finish up at the end of April. So you get out of the way of the NBA playoffs too, and you have your own little like the NFL is over and uh, baseball just started and so you've got that little pocket in uh, in March and April. Like so you could start hockey October 1st. So October, November, December, January and then uh, February, a 5-month regular season, 60 games and then go right into the playoffs March 1st through the end of April. Boom. We don't need hockey in June.
1: We just we, what we don't need in hockey is the ridiculous system that the best three teams in each division get it's in. It's confusing. It's And very then weird. the other ones fight for two more wild cards. I just don't understand that. I mean, it just should be one through eight and one through eight. But, I mean, I, I wish that the travel wasn't an issue because when one team in a Western Conference gets in that had a worse record than a team in the Eastern Conference or anything like that, that just drives you crazy. And the, with the NFL, I would say that winning your division does not matter to your playoff seating. That drives me crazy, too. How can you go eight and eight? And win a division, and then get a home playoff
2: game. Seven and nine, for it's go, happened. Right
1: for going seven and nine or eight and eight, that should just never be possible. It should just be best record to worst record. That's it.
0: Here's the other thing about the NBA, um, and then this is why they did the Steph and LeBron picking teams for the All Star game. And you kind of saw this when free agency was when everything was leaning west. If you look at the star power in the West versus the the East, it's basically LeBron, Greek Freak, and Kyrie Irving, and that's where the list stops. If you just take the top 22 players in the league based on win shares, so all-encompassing like wins above replacement, 18 are in the Western Conference and four are in the East. Now, LeBron James, if he would have played 35 minutes last night, probably could have flexed his muscles with any collection and and had him playing well in that All-Star game. But if you had an East versus West and, and it was LeBron and Greek Freak against all of those guys rotating in and out and staying fresh, it's just become too lopsided, and it's been that way for almost twenty years. When's the last time you thought the East was overwhelmingly better than the West? At least twenty years.
1: Ninety-six.
0: Pro- <laughs> right, I mean, that, yeah, right? Right. Like the Bull, the Chicago yeah. Bulls, and but so when when you had Reggie Miller with the Pacers and 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 mm-hmm. Michael Jordan and stuff, so that's another reason just to to overhaul it. How about this for Adam Silver? And again, never would happen. Money, obviously
2: being the key reason, cut the first two rounds of playoffs from seven game series to three. Didn't it used to be three it a was long, five. long time ago? Yeah. I mean, it was five it? for a while. It might have yeah. been three real early on, too. And they then become must-watch games at that point. You can still call it a series, so it's not a one-and-done, but it becomes must-watch ver- when it's, you know, instead of one versus eight, well, I can tune this one out because it'll most it'll go five.
0: Yeah, I could see both sides where it would be more fun throughout the entire course of the playoffs if the Warriors and the Cavs were at risk early, like in the NCAA mm, yeah. tournament, you know what? A one seed is still at risk against a 16 seed and then in the second round for sure against an eight or a nine. So it would be kind of fun to watch the the Warriors maybe in a five-game series or a three-game series lose the first game and then have to battle back. But if the consequence is I don't get to watch the Warriors and the Cavs and, and dynasties. Yep. That's kind of the buzzkill. When Butler gets to the championship game, you're like, oh, that was fun for a while, but now Butler. Butler's in the championship game. If,
1: if there was no money involved, if we were taking money out of this, I would say don't put in 16 NHL and NBA teams. Just do, just do eight. I mean, why do the NFL, which is the most money-grubbing league ever, doesn't even go to 16 because it's like, no way, too much mediocrity making the playoffs.
0: Yeah. We didn't do the Jets and the Bills in every year. Yeah. Sorry.
1: So then you would kick right off with Warriors and someone that mattered. If it was just one through four and one through four, it, it would be Warriors and Wolves to start it off, which would be a pretty good matchup for a first round. But, you know, they want to make their money, so they put in all these teams. And then you hope that somebody makes it kind of interesting. An eight seed makes it kind of interesting against the Cavs or the Warriors, but it never really happens. So you're just wasting your time.
2: Uh, We had a lot of the NBA All-Star festivities on this radio station over the weekend. I happened to be in my car yesterday as they were doing the introductions for the actual All-Star game, Kevin Hart. And it kept going, and it kept going, and I wasn't laughing, and it was kind of weird. Yeah. And then it was finally done. And that brings me to this question. Give me an athlete or entertainer that you just don't understand the fuss about. You don't understand why they're popular. Because when it came to Kevin Hart and Rob Riggle yesterday,
0: really? So so Kevin Hart, I think, like, there's always the celebrity, and Kevin Hart's this. There's been a few others where it's just overexposure. And if you're them, you're not going to say no because you're making money and you're doing all this stuff and you're in movies. Kevin Hart has fallen victim to overexposure. I just, I, it, it doesn't do anything for me anymore. He's the new Dane Cook, is what you're saying? Dane Cook, oh my God, yes. <laughs> Dane Cook, uh, so there's two comedians. Dane Cook is one of them, to answer your question. And Jeff Dunham, oh, the God. ventriloquist guy, oh. never got, never. I, I I remember watching a 30-minute Jeff Dunham special, and Dane Cook's the same way. Not even like flinching. My face didn't even tick toward a laugh. And, I, and, and the people in the room were laughing, and I'm like, I don't mean to be rude, and I'm looking for a laugh here. I just don't. <laughs> I don't get it. You guys are idiots. Yeah.
1: <laughs> there there are probably a lot of musical artists that come to mind here. The uh, and this is just I'm now discovering I'm old. Like when there are players who are coming out in the draft who are players kids that I watched, I'm like, "Oh, no. How old am I now?" And if it, there are a lot of songs I like to listen to a uh, very uh, variation of different things. Hip hop, rock music, blues music, like everything. There are some like hip hop artists who aren't really rapping, but aren't really singing, and they just put a ton of like echo and delay on yeah. their voice, and then they just sort of say stuff. I'm like, I just I can't. I'm with you on that. And yeah. I love hip hop music. I just but I too just much auto tune
0: is bad. It's it's if you're getting too far into the auto tune, I, I there's a weird little middle area that I'm, I'm with you. Like I'll listen, I'll listen to rap, I'll listen to R and B, I'll listen to all kind. If you looked at my iTunes, it is packed with like ten different genres and eras and different things. The auto tune thing. I'm sorry. Although you know what, Fergie might want to uh, invest needs, in some, yeah, she needs some national auto-tune. anthem auto tune.
1: There, there are good uses of auto tune when you put it in as just a like a, an interesting layering effect. Like Kanye West will use it occasionally, and it will sound really cool for what he's going for for a particular song. But if that's your whole shtick all the time, like then I'm not I don't really get it. And also sometimes there are good singers who ruin themselves by putting too many effects on it. T Pain is one of them. I am telling you, you can look this up. T Pain is a phenomenal singer. He is an incredible singer. But he got known for the auto-tune thing, and that's all he's ever known for. And his music is generally not very good.
0: You know, I've always thought of T Pain as the next Sam Cooke. <laughs> he
1: you say that it's funny. That's exactly... He was doing a cover of a Sam Cooke song, and it was beautiful. Really? I'm not, I'm not is making this, that is, up. Can you find you this can, can during the you break? You can YouTube that. T-Pain doing Sam Cooke is really, really good.
0: Okay. We'll look it up. Question three when we come back, and then we'll check in at some point, either next segment or 1230, Wetmore, after he talks to Jake Odorizzi. First Mackie of and all,
2: I, I should get this in. I don't know what you mean about
0: Fergie. That's me. And me. Oh. oh, my God. That is... <laughs> Impressive. Mackie and Judd now continue This
3: one's better than a kick in the jump. on
0: 1500 ESPN I'm not kidding it's beautiful
3: It's been a long
0: Okay why did he why, why not it's do more song. like why not do more like this
1: There are a lot of artists pop artists who are legitimately super talented that just make the music that they believe is going to make them the most money.
0: Clearly, because this is incredible. This is beautiful. And I mean, it's a I, tribute to one of the great artists of all time, Sam Cooke.
1: I ran into this the other day, and I was completely blown away. And and I already knew that he could sing because I had seen uh, NPR does these things where they have um, concerts in a little room, and they have people. It's in the White House. So they're called, like, the Tiny Desk Concerts, and they're often really, really good. Uh, a lot of Unplugged and stuff like that from cool artists, some really popular, some not as much, and he did one, and it was like what is this? Because he wasn't auto tuning or anything. It was just a keyboard and then him singing. Yeah. And so then I, because I watched that, the next one popped up. Like if and you I can, that. S- if yeah. you
0: can sing like that, you should never be near auto tuning. Oh yeah,
1: I agree. I mean, that's the... could
0: you imagine it's like Sam Cooke back in the sixty, early sixties, rocking auto tune?
1: It's it's the classic <laughs> sellout. We got in one day. You were off, and I was saying something similar about Miley Cyrus, which I think now people have realized she is a good singer. But for a little bit, there was a weird era with her where she's making some kind of strange music and doing weird things and people were making fun of her. And it was like, no, actually, she has this really incredibly powerful voice that's rare, especially in the lower notes for a female vocalist. And, you know, Judd was making fun of me or whatever. But now she's sort of done some more artistic things that have helped people realize that. But not you know not all of these people's music reflects exactly what their talent level
0: like is. I, I mean lady gaga is another one where she starts okay she stops dressing up like like a meat factory yeah. and then works with tony bennett and goes on tour for a year saw her and at people realize, oh okay wow there's something more here and then you know once you get i, I suppose whatever you have to do to get your money into right and to get your celebrity and then from there you do what you want to do
2: Auto tune was our generation's synthesizer. Oh, you just fell into the trap in the <laughs> '80s. You know, guys could shred the guitar, but hey, this is new and awesome. All right, the seagulls. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Final question, Collar. When was the summer of Collar trying to be a good golfer? When 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 was that roughly?
1: Um, yeah, probably like 2014 or 2015.
2: And you said early in the show you dedicated yourself to yeah. seeing how as good as you could be. You yep. broke 90 and you were thrilled by it. Correct. All right. Well, uh, the question is based off that then. I would like to know say you just got six months off of work. You didn't have to worry about money. You got six months to apply yourself to a sport or an activity, something to just get as good as you can possibly get. But it's not for money. All right. You can't, once you get really good, you can't apply that new skill to make yourself money. You're strictly as an amateur in whatever it is.
0: What's the sport or activity you now choose? So th- I've I've had the same answer for this for over a decade. and talk show host? Yes, I'm still trying. If <laughs> people asked you for <laughs> yeah. over
1: a decade or you just have no, been I mean, like, asking yourself? No, I would say it's well here <laughs> what would I do Phil no you'll get you'll
0: get the context of it. So I played I played trumpet at a it, it's one of the, like if, if I could rank the three things I've ever been good at in my life and I'm still searching for at least one of them, Trumpet was number one from age, let's say, 12 through 20. Like, I won a jazz award in in New Orleans one time when I was 17 years old, like a soloist award. I, we had a Dixie Lamb band and stuff. I, it, was, it was my thing for a long time. I also played varsity sports and did both. So before I get more of these nerd yeah. emails, yes, I was a nerd, but also, like, held a clipboard and wore a sports uniform sometimes, too. Hmm. So I've always thought, though, after I got bored with trumpet and went into other things, because it's not like a thing. You, you can't just, like... Pick up a trumpet at a cocktail party <laughs> yeah, and start playing yeah. Louis Armstrong songs.
2: <laughs> Romantic evening <laughs> yeah. with the gal.
0: Hang on, let me let me bust some. out my <laughs>
2: let me uh, bust out valve. my bock. spit valve. Hang on, we're got exactly. a lot of loogie in there. Right,
0: like it's not something you just you can't brush up on it, and you can't even really practice it in an apartment. So I went to these apartments after college, and the walls are paper thin. You can't practice trumpet. <laughs> Brought my yeah. horn. But I would have said piano. Like you can, if you could sit down. Mm. And I took piano lessons when I was a little kid. But if you could sit down at a piano and just tickle the old ivories at the airport or at a whatever at a function and show off to people, that'd be pretty fun. So I would spend six months learning how to play piano at a however good you could get in six months.
1: I I I have two. One is musical. I've played the guitar for a really really long time since I was like uh, ten or eleven years old, and. I consider myself to be good at it, but the problem is I don't really understand music that well. Like, I don't understand the X's and O's of how music works. Like, Like you don't read music. I don't read music. I've learned it all by ear is one way you could put it, or by, uh, they come out with specific guitar music to learn from that just tells you where to put your fingers, and then a lot of just practicing and experimenting and everything else, and listening to different genres and learning different techniques. But... I've never really understood like how to put a bunch of sheet music in front of you and understand scales and how everything interlocks together. I would love to do that. The other thing is too. um, So the town ball is big here. It was not huge. It it was nothing where I came from. It's it's kind
0: of a, it's a, it's kind of a cult following here. yeah, Yeah.
1: You would have been lucky to find one league where I lived before. I would love to just train to be the, a great town ball pitcher, because I pitched in high school and a little bit of college, but the college experience didn't really go that well of playing. So I would love to totally redeem myself by playing town ball and uh, strike out twenty in a game or something. <laughs> so
0: I off that <laughs> town ball note, I had an interaction on Twitter over the weekend with somebody. Um, I think so. Here's the scenario. I called town ball baseball games play-by-play when I was like 19 or 20 years old for KRWC radio in the in the Western, not even Western suburbs, it's like West of the Western suburbs out. So we're talking Buffalo, Maple Lake, St. Michael, that whole area out in the, out in the bohoonies where I grew up. And so I remember my first and I think only ever walk-off home run call takes place in about 2005, but to, to spin the story here. I was interacting with someone on Twitter this weekend. I can't even remember. what I think it was about like twins and free agent pitchers or something. And I recognized the name of the guy on Twitter. Chad Rache is his name. I'll just throw his name out there. One of the best amateur baseball players I've ever seen. Like the guy was the, the guy Racher. was like a 400 hitter, <laughs> right? And um, so Racher or X? Are you done? No. <laughs> <laughs> so we're interacting on Twitter, and I said, "Wait a second. This is going to sound weird, but..." Are you the same Chad race that hit a walk-off Homer with a full count in the bottom of the ninth inning of a Tom ball playoff game against a Cleveland Indians system pitcher Hamill versus Maple Lake back in like 2005. He goes, Holy crap, dude. Yeah. How did you know that? I called that, that I called play by play and freaked out (laughs) on the headset over that game. Like people. So Terry Steinbach and his family used to put, and they might even still play. They used to put together teams in the off season. This is back in like the eighties and nineties. And so you'd have pro baseball players Just putting together super teams like LeBron James and Steph Curry would do in the NBA, but for town ball in the Twin Cities, and that so Hamill would just have like a bunch of former Big Ten players and professional players just hitting the ball out of the ballpark and winning fifteen to three every night.
1: If Terry Steinbach played today, we would love him. Like we, they would obsess over like oh his his framing. Oh, it's just (laughs) he because that's the thing because because I was a pitcher, I was obsessed with good catchers because I'm not sure that all baseball fans understand the difference between when you have someone that's great. Didn't I read that you, Darvish, wanted uh, Chris uh, Jimenez? Jimenez, yeah. No kidding? They La- were together
0: in Texas. Nope. Nope. Yeah. In love fact, when Jimenez went to the Cubs, it was kind of an early sign that, oh, you, Darvish, might follow Chris Jimenez to whatever team he signs with.
1: I loved watching him last summer. Like, his his leadership tendencies, his how sturdy he was, Behind the plate, his pitch calling,
0: his buttons all that undone, stuff. and showing egregious amounts of chest yeah, hair at the plate. There was a little bit of
1: that, but just like those little nuances to it, I forget where this was supposed to go. But like Terry Steinbach was so good at all of that stuff, and you know, you pull up his baseball card, and it's like oh, he has like yeah. fifteen couple of good or seasons, something. Yeah. But he was, I think, he was a big reason why Oakland was so good
0: when they were. So Terry Steinbach, shout out to you, man. You're out there (laughs) doing it. Former guest, weekly guest of the Mackie and Judd show back in the day. Uh, Should we check? Is is Wetmore, do you think, ready in Fort Myers when we come back here? He should be good to go. You don't want to
1: talk more about... Time
0: no, we will after this with oh. Derek Wetmore. Oh, yeah, we'll break down uh, framing and town ball and things like that. Uh, and and Jake Odorizzi in the TCL Broadcast Studios. Phil Mackey.
2: This guy is absolutely elite. It's
0: kind of like you're looking at your brother. I didn't know who had more energy. Judd Zolgad. I even hesitate to disagree with him because he's so knowledgeable and he knows way more than I ever will. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN.
3: But I'm happy to be uh, to be a Minnesota Twin.
1: I mean, it's a great time to be, you know, a Twin, and the dynamic of this team is is so
0: fascinating, intriguing, and exciting. You got a good group of veteran guys, a revamped bullpen, and a lot of young, dynamic players to go on top of that. So it's it's a really exciting time. Jake Odorizzi, the newest member of the twin starting rotation. Uh, so a couple pieces of good news here. And by the way, Matthew Koller is in for Judd today from. The Purple Podcast, 1500ASPN.com, Saturday Sports Talk. Uh, Also, Matt and Judd's Hockey Adventure. You can find that podcast, too. But, hey, Derek Wetmore, the two pieces of good news on Jake Odorizzi. Number one, he's one of their best starting pitchers automatically because he's very good. He's not Hugh Darvish at his peak good or Chris Archer good, but he's very good. And number two, they got him for almost nothing. They got him for, like, their fourth best shortstop prospect who probably doesn't surface into anything spectacular.
3: Yeah, Derek Falvey says that the guy they gave up is a major league caliber player, but you always have to say that. The guy going out, oh, really tough to give him up. I think I
0: want more honesty than that from Falvey. Quite frankly, we fleeced these clowns into giving us one of their best starters.
3: Well, in a total moment of honesty, you'd hear them say something like, we needed a starting pitcher, we're thrilled we got somebody who's this good, and what fortunate timing that we just took advantage of the Rays who are trying to dump salary. We got in there at the right time. I think that's what you'd hear uh, on Truth Serum.
1: So, Derek, uh, I was reading an article today from Fangraphs about Odorizzi and uh, potential adjustments that he might make with his fastball location and things like that that could help him improve from last year. So are the Twins looking at him as a guy who's going to perform better than his numbers were last season?
3: I think they are, Matt. So we talked with Falvey yesterday about the – Basically, just about the signing for 20 minutes, and he said he's got a track record. You look back at the last three years; he's got some 500 innings or so. But he said he still thinks he sees upside in there. There's two things that are interesting about this: one, the Twins have a new pitching coach and a whole bunch of new brain power in the organization trying to figure out how to maximize it. Two, one of those pieces of uh, brain power is Josh Kulk, who was a pitching analyst for the Rays for a number of years. So he'd be very familiar with Jake Odorizzi. He'd also be very familiar with Chris Chris Archer and Alex Cobb, for what it's worth. But I'm curious to see, are the Twins going to try to make some major change to him, or do they think, ah, this is a pretty good pitcher, he's a mid-rotation starter, and maybe we'll just try to cut down some of those home runs and call it a day. I'm curious to see if they're going to tweak anything with his repertoire or maybe it's just more about getting back to being healthy.
0: Well, the other thing too, and so so we actually had uh Mark Topkin on from the Tampa Bay Times who's yeah. been covering the Rays for I mean I I think since their inception. And he said, and this is one of the best most plugged-in beat writers in the country, and he didn't even like he wouldn't be able to pick Josh Culk out of a room, 9 years in Tampa because that, they <laughs> they were that secretive about about what they were doing behind the scenes. So I do think there's going to be with what the Twins are putting together behind the scenes, there's going to be an uptake and some, and some help for all pitchers. But now that Jake Odorizzi isn't in the American League East anymore, I mean, his first three starts of last year came against New York, Toronto, Boston, three of the best lineups in baseball. Yeah. Uh, so you're facing, on a regular basis, some of the most daunting lineups in the game. And you want to be able to get those lineups out, especially if you're going to play in the playoffs. But replacing, let's say, New York, Toronto, and Boston with, oh, I don't know the Tigers and the White Sox and the rebuilding Royals is going to help a lot for Jake Odorizzi.
3: I agree. I I think pitching in the central is going to be good for him. When you look at ballpark adjusted ERA measures, uh, baseball reference uses ERA plus, which for, uh, for Matthew in the audience, he says, you know, you take your ERA and you compare it with what everyone else is doing around the league so that you try to get it on a scale where 100 is average, 105 would be 5% better than average. And that basically eliminates the ballpark effect. Over the last three years, Jaco D'Orizi, 108 ERA+, which is right up there with guys like Chris Archer. So, look, I'm not saying he's going to be an ace, Phil, but I think that a move out of the East will help. I think that the Twins can possibly get something more out of the talent that he has. And if he can stay healthy, I think this is a very solid bet to be a mid-rotation starter, which... On a twin staff is something they very badly needed. So what is next?
1: Because uh, the other night when I see Jeff pass and tweet out they're going to make a move with the Rays, I went, oh, "Wow, yes. this is awesome!" Chris Archer, I can't wait. I hope that they put out like uh, things you could put on your head that are like his hair, or something sure. right? Like this would be <laughs> you, so cool. You're getting excited, yeah? No, I mean I love Chris Archer as a player, and I thought this would be fantastic. And uh, I think he had shirts with his head that looked anyway. So. When that doesn't happen, I feel like maybe there's a little air out of the sails, and people still feel like, "Eh, okay, that was nice, but you're still a little ways away from actually competing with someone like the Cleveland Indians. Is there another move that we should expect on the way?
3: Yes, but I don't know if it's going to come before opening day. I think the Twins are going to try to load up some more because I agree with what you're saying, Matt. There is just a it's a step down. There's no two ways about it. I mean, you Darvish could potentially add several meaningful wins to a team that like right now looks like a little bit better than a 500 club, but I don't think even the twins would say they're a sure bet to be a playoff team. You look around the rest of the American league, there are just too many teams that got a lot better and the Indians are still the Indians. So I still think they'll need to load up more, uh, make a, whether it's a higher impact starter, maybe they add a bat at some point too. um, I do think that a move is coming, but the sense that I get from talking with Derek Falvey yesterday and Paul Molitor is kind of that we're good. We're pretty happy with where we're at right now, whereas now if they make another move, it would sort of be gravy. Uh, That's why I keep telling people a lot of people still want to know if they're going to go get like Jake Arrieta. I'm not saying there's a 0% chance, but I think that would be pretty unlikely before opening day.
0: Yeah, this I think this sets them up to at least not stumble out of the gate. I mean, anything can happen, though, because baseball is weird. But sure. I would say this gives you a chance to get to the trade deadline. You're still one top arm, in my opinion, unless Jose Barrios becomes that, which he could. But you're still one trade away or one free agent signing away from really competing with the top teams in the American league. Uh, I don't think Anibal Sanchez is going to be that, but they did sign Anibal Sanchez who used to five years ago, be one of the better pitchers in baseball. So what Derek, by the way, Derek Wetmore is in Fort Myers here at Hammond stadium uh, for the next several weeks. What did you make of the Anibal Sanchez signing? And, and what do the financials work out to be? It sounds like they could wind up paying him $5 million if all things work out. Or if they dump him before the season begins, it's $500,000. Is that right?
3: Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I don't really like the signing that much. Uh, I think in general, they've done a lot of smart things to put themselves in a good spot to say, hey, if this guy hits his upside, we're in great position. And if he doesn't, well, we've limited the downside. I I really appreciate their ability to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. Let me back up and say, too, Sanchez has to clear his physical before it's official. He's here. I've seen him around. He's greeting teammates. But he's not throwing bullpens. He's not working out. Uh, The word I heard was that they were going to try to get him cleared today or tomorrow, and then that contract would become official. The short version of my analysis there, Phil, is that he could make $5 million if this goes great, but more likely he's not going to be a pitcher who makes 30 starts for the Twins. He's basically a broken pitcher, in my opinion, who over the past three seasons has just been bad. There's no two ways around it. And the Twins are talking about how they see some things that they can fix and that maybe his pitches are better, his secondary pitches are better than what his numbers indicate. And what I read that is that, well, he's just got a bad fastball and it just keeps getting tortured for home runs all the time. I don't expect him to make a meaningful contribution to the Twins, but if he's able to beat those odds and the Twins are able to find some magic formula and fix him with their numbers and... You know their uh, their pitch usage and figuring out well this is a much more effective pitch so you should throw it sixty percent of the time instead of fifteen. Okay, if 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 you can pull that off, which I think is a long shot, then you're then you're possibly talking about a guy who makes a contribution. And if that's the case, heck of a steal for the Twins. And you'd have to tip your cap that they were able to fix a broken man as of right now. I see it as sort of a, a long shot lottery ticket.
1: I think they should teach him the knuckleball. Knuckleball—it's the, the only reasonable solution here. Yeah, um, maybe. Derek, where do we stand on Miguel Sano and his uh, issue off-season being accused of? Sexual assault, would you say, would be a good way to characterize it? Where where do we stand on that in a potential suspension or uh, any punishment for Major League Baseball?
3: Well, I'm surprised, to be honest with you, that we haven't heard anything from Major League Baseball. I talked to Sano yesterday, and he says that he hasn't heard anything, and he doesn't want to talk about it. I'm guessing the lawyers told him to say that, but until Major League Baseball gives the Twins some kind of heads up what's going to happen here... We're all just sort of left in limbo, and Sano included in that, of course. He reported to camp, he's here and he's working out with his teammates, he's taking ground balls, but honestly, it's a waiting game. I I don't know when we're expecting that decision, it of course has to come before opening day if he were to be suspended for any length of time. There's not really a lot of precedent similar to the case that MLB's investigating against Sano right now, so... Uh, at the risk of sounding callous or insensitive, it's just it's really hard to say how that's gonna play out and if, if it's going to affect him on the field. Uh and and the other update on Sano is that he had that surgery and he's been cleared to do baseball activities, been working out for three or four weeks. Uh but I think if you were being polite about it, you would say he hasn't gained a significant amount of weight from last season. And uh you're you're see him walking around the clubhouse and taking around. He, has, he, has, he
0: hasn't lost weight or what do you Absolutely not.
3: He is. He has got to be. He's. Li- I heard he's listed at two sixty, and I don't have a scale in my back pocket, but I don't think that's even close. I think he's way heavier than that, and he looks to me. He noticeably passed two
0: sixty about seven exits ago on his sure. on his trip.
3: And so, you know, not to make light of the situation, but he has been off his feet for most of the offseason because of the surgery he had this winter. And if you're just talking about a baseball side of things, uh, I think the Twins are going to have to work to get him in better shape if he's going to hold up for a full season and be a 150 game third baseman for them. He
0: should try doing a whole 30 and using a shake weight while he's sitting on a couch.
3: I don't know if that's the kind of strength he's going to need uh, for baseball. He, don't get me wrong. He is a strong guy. Like, he still has that strength. We watched him take BP on the field today. He can still crush it. But you see that big body, and and I've been a, a long defender of him as a possible, you know, better-than-average third baseman over there. I'm starting to uh, shift my opinion on that. If he's not going to be able to maintain his conditioning, maintain his physical shape, it's really hard to see a guy like that sticking at third base. Yeah,
0: this is, is, is it too early to, like, what's his What's his demeanor like? Because he's always a pretty gregarious, happy-go-lucky guy, but this has been a pretty tumultuous six-to-nine-month period for him.
3: It's hard to read, you're right, it's hard to read that from my perspective, right? I'm behind the velvet rope, uh, who he is with his teammates, who he is when the clubhouse doors are locked, it's It's hard to say. But you do still see some of the smile, you see him greeting his teammates, signing autographs for fans today, um, smiling and, I, I assume, happy to be back playing baseball. But a tumultuous offseason would be a good way to put it, and he hasn't reached the finish line on that yet. There's still, it's unclear uh, if he's going to be physically ready to go. Um, I, I expect he will be, but it's unclear yet. And then there's still this possible suspension looming over his head. So it's uh, not exactly sunny times for Miguel Sano, and um, you can understand why. Yeah.
0: All right, Derek, uh, you can go find all kinds of written stuff from Derek on 1500ESPN.com, including some under the radar guys, more minor league type players that you should have your eye on. And then we're going to record a touch them all podcast probably sometime this afternoon. So, all right, dude, we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks, guys. Derek Wetmore down at Hammond Stadium in Fort Myers. Let's come back here and uh, and wrap up one thing on the Vikings quarterback discussion. And also, uh, I want to thank some of the listeners who stepped up in a big way over the weekend. Before we do anything else, TCL is America's fastest-growing TV brand. And if you haven't checked out one of their P-Series TVs, I mean, they've got the built-in Roku device, which gives you access to 4,000-plus streaming channels and also 450,000 movies, TV show episodes. And it's super convenient because it's all built in. You don't have any external devices or cords or things like that. You've got on on one menu, so to speak, you've got your uh, satellite or cable channels, whatever it is that you subscribe to. And then you've got a full list on page two of all of these streaming options with the built-in Roku. Uh, The P-Series TV made CNET's best TVs of 2017 list last year and said TCL had, quote, truly excellent image quality and the best smart TV system on the market uh, PC Magazine is raving. USA Today's reviewed. Wire cutter. A bunch of publications are in on it. There's a reason why TCL is America's fastest growing uh, TV brand. You can find out more at any major local retailer or TCLUSA.com.
2: Let's, let's blast off.
0: Mackey and Judd now continue. On 1500 ESPN.
2: Kick off your running season with 1500 ESPN at Twin Cities and Motions. Hot Dash 5K and 10 Mile. Saturday, March 24th. Bring your lumberjack best to this Minnesota-themed event. features a top-10 U.S. post-race beer garden, live DJ, photo booth, activities for all ages, plus hot dish and beer from Summit Brewing Company. Registration is open now. All runners will receive a Storm Creek long-sleeve quarter-zip technical pullover Details at 1500ESPN.com. Keyword events. Fellas just looking up at the traffic cam. Eastbound, I believe, on the uh, crosstown Ooh. 62 at 35W. Jackknife semi right in the middle of it. You, yeah, there's uh,
0: cars that are, like, trying to scrape by on the wall.
2: Yeah, you may want to avoid the crosstown uh, near 35W if, uh, if that's in your future. Find another route. That looks cataclysmic, as Kenny would say. Apocalyptic. Yes, that's a good word for
0: it. And if you're sitting in uh, in traffic listening to us, we thank you. Do not take 62 eastbound, 35W area. Yuck. Stay out of there. Um, so I am alive after doing the big climb for LLS on Saturday. Congratulations. Thank you to all of the listeners and Twitter followers and friends and everybody else who helped donate. In fact, I believe collectively... Uh, we as a as a group, not just like fifteen hundred ESPN, but I think it was over two hundred thousand dollars raised for oh, wow. the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society on Saturday in the Capella Towers. So, have you guys ever have you guys ever done anything like climby, anything where your heart rate gets jacked up? Like Dave's done five Ks and half marathon, full marathon, full marathon, couple times. But yep. yeah, I'm more of a half guy now. <laughs> hey, hey, <laughs> I got one coming up in two weeks. Hey, Want to come? Fifty three floors. I got to like fifteen or twenty, and that was when it kicked in. I'm starting to get really bleeping tired, and there are machines behind me that are probably into CrossFit that are just trudging. and And and, you, and your your climb was timed, so people are trying to beat their times from previous years. By the time and they have water at like thirty and forty and on the way up, so fifteen or twenty, I started to get like noticeably tired. Okay, that's this is a lot. We're now we're now in pretty deep into this thing. Around floor 40, I was ready to probably pass out if not for a water break. And I so I, for the two water breaks, I stopped for 30 seconds and just took a drink and sat there and let some people pass me. Never went down. Thought about, like, laying down on the steps a couple <laughs> times. But then I was showing Matthew Collar this. I took a video. I thought, all right, when I get toward 53, I'm going to take a video of like floor 53 and the signage and then the people who are all clapping and cheering and celebrating as you get up there. And so I fire up my video and I thought I, in the moment I thought, oh, this is great stuff. Like I've got the whole video, I've got the floor 53 and I've got the the people cheering. And I went back to look at the video. And it was like I had 43 beers in me or something, just, like, fumbling around. I didn't get the floor number. I think I had the waist of one of the women that was cheering. And then, like, the hands of a guy that was clapping next, and then I shut the thing off. You were so I wasn't able as, to post anything on social media.
1: Quoted as saying, tweet, chat will love this. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
0: So, uh, yeah, it was horrible. But, Dave, you predicted that I would. You've had faith in me and write that down, right? So I know the cause means a lot to you
2: and that your heart was going to overcome
0: or explode or either one or some either way (laughs) combination. So, appreciate all the donations. And, uh, yeah, so we'll probably do it again next year, but maybe prepare a little bit with a stair climber in the week in advance.
2: (laughs) Just lay off the hot dogs and booze for a
0: little bit would be all right. That would be good, too. I
1: mean, I even went up to, uh, I was at the women's gopher game yesterday. And I prefer in that arena to sit up as opposed to down where you're kind of like looking up over the floor. I like to be up on top. Cause it's a great view. Sure. I, even when I got up there now I was carrying a couple hot dogs, a pretzel, some Skittles, some Oh, soda. I was doing it, that know. as well. Yeah, going yeah, up yeah, to 53. And yeah. I mean, the, the worst part about going to sports around here is just have it. You have your coat and another coat and a, sh- a snood, like we talked about the one day,
0: the thing sometimes two snoods, <laughs> yeah, sometimes you know.
1: multiple snoods. So I end up going all the way up. By the time I got to my seat, I was thinking of you because I was like,
0: Uh, ah, by their heads, of 3 pointers today. <laughs> well, you know what? So I, I got on fire, I got to the top, and apparently, some people do it twice, so they'll do 106 floors They're the same day, like back to back, they'll just go back. So they have a system where you and I found oh, this out. Those people are jerks. Well, here's the thing. I found this out getting in the elevator to go down, back to like the parking lot to go pass out and take a nap. And we get in the elevator with probably six or seven other people all in their kind of workout gear. And the person in the elevator for for LLS says, um, "Are you guys doing another 53 or going or going down to the parking lot?" And I was like, <laughs> "What?" <laughs> I'm getting drunk. I don't and then know about like, you. Like three people. And I, and, and I said, oh, you mean like, are we going to the parking lot or are we like going to die or some comment? And some woman was so offended that I would make fun of the notion of going up a second time. It's like, listen, lady, we all have people in our lives that have like died of cancer. Like we can make the joke at in this setting. But people do it twice. 105. And there were firefighters with full gear going up from 1 to 53 just to either to a train and B to raise money for charity. like that's and then imagine being a firefighter, getting up to the 53rd floor like in a real scenario and not just being able to grab a granola bar and a power aid, <laughs> but having to fight a fire and save lives and stuff. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, jokes in
1: public that don't go over well are one of my favorite things. Just
0: <laughs> Like like yeah. Thad Levine at the Diamond Awards with a Sheila E. Prince sex joke a few weeks ago? Would you, would you just, yeah. do you
1: think in your brain, like, yeah, this'll, this'll, be, this'll get a couple laughs, and then <laughs> it's just nothing.
0: I think the exact verbiage of my joke was, if I do that again, ironically, uh, you'll have to do a fundraiser for heart failure the next time, <laughs> time around. <if laughs>
1: How and dare oh,
0: you? <laughs> that's tremendous. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's oh, right. My mom died of leukemia. Like, she would have made the same joke. It's okay. Would, see,
1: that would have been even funnier if you were like, my mom's dead. It's fine.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <Did> she, <laughs> Get would over it, it lady. You,
0: she was making jokes the day before. It's fine. It happens. That's right. even
1: like three times as awkward at that point. <laughs> Cause then they they're still mad at you, but they have to be like, oh, dead mom.
0: Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. sorry but that, I
2: still like sure. hate the joke. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe when she was living, she should have raised you better. Yes. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. yeah.
0: Super dark. I
1: mean, that's true though. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> like most of our emailers today would have said the same thing. Yeah, same thing. Um, hey, we have like two minutes left, and one thing just off the Teddy Bridgewater uh, fight that we had for an hour. Not you and I, but like mostly you against callers and emailers. Someone called in, it was Henry, with a very reasoned disagreement, but but also a thought on top of it. The awkwardness of bringing both Teddy and Keenum back and competing, saying, Hey, Keenum, we believe in you, but not really, because Teddy's probably going to take your job. That would be uncomfortable.
1: You want to have a really good backup quarterback if you're going to go with Teddy Bridgewater, and Case Keenum would certainly be that. But you are asking for locker room problems. You are asking for... Case Keenum to not be a peach about it. If Mike Zimmer doesn't want him to be the starting quarterback and ends up going with Teddy Bridgewater, or you are asking for hurt feelings from Teddy Bridgewater who probably sat on the sidelines this year and thought I could have made that throw better. I mean, in his brain, you know, that, that as a competitor, he's thinking, ah, man, you know, I would have made that play or something else, but, For this year, it was very easy for Bridgewater to be like, hey, I'm just recovering from a knee injury. Go, Case, good for you. It was very easy for Case to see him go in against Cincinnati and be like, Teddy, Teddy. It will not be that way next year. And because the locker room likes Teddy Bridgewater as much as it does, I think that that really has the potential to be a problem, especially if Case outplayed him in training camp, but some players still believed that Bridgewater should be the quarterback. This one does have the potential to be a distraction, even though on paper, it's the best thing possible is bringing these two back because you know what you have in Keenum and you might have something even better with Bridgewater, but you're not sure. So you got to have that insurance policy. If it was a video game and there were no humans involved, you'd be like, great. We have two good quarterbacks, but it's going to be a lot more difficult to sell that next year. So I almost think if you're going to go with Bridgewater, you have to just let Keenum go, sign with the Broncos, sign with Arizona, the Jets, somebody like that. And then Josh McCown becomes and, your backup then, quarterback yeah. or something. And if you look he's up 39. McCown from last year, I mean, he was basically Case Keenum on a worse team.
0: Yeah. he's had Josh McCown has had this – it's like it took him 10 years to have a good season with Chicago. And then probably in three of the last five with Chicago, Cleveland – And then uh, the Jets, some bad infrastructure. He's actually been pretty good. So that's definitely a name to keep on the radar. Matthew Collar, uh, Judd's back tomorrow. Find Collar on 1500 com and also the Purple Podcast. And now Saturday, Sports Talk. We'll see you guys tomorrow.